am excited. Would a good God allow bad things to happen? That is a huge question that most humans have wondered at some point. It's a question that could even have, when that question comes up, it's usually because something has happened. And so it's a question that can be part of us losing our faith, if that is a question that we're asking. It could be because you have somebody in your life that you care about, they're dealing with that, and they could be struggling with potentially losing their faith. It's a question that might even be the beginning of the end of your faith, which is why for my sake and for your sake, that Jesus actually manufactured, he prepared in advance and planned in advance and created the opportunity for him to manufacture this sign that we began talking about last week. Now, Jesus, in this moment, he's going to sum up all of our questions, all of our worries, all of our fears, and this one single afternoon in a community that is just outside of Jerusalem. So I want to kind of catch you up where we were last week as we continue this story. Uh, John, uh, who is one of the writers of the four accounts that we have, the four antique, old, 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 old accounts that we have that were biographies of the life of Jesus. John was one of those writers. John spent countless hours with Jesus as he followed him. He heard what Jesus said, and most importantly, John saw everything that Jesus did, and John wrote it all down later in his life, and he said, here's what I saw. Here is what happened. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. And Jesus, in this moment, in this little uh, depiction of this biography that we're going to be looking at, Jesus and his disciples are kind of stationed just outside of Jerusalem, just on the outside of the, the edge of Jerusalem. And he gets word from a messenger that his close friend, whose name is Lazarus, was sick. And Lazarus was in the town of Bethany, which was just about a day, day and a half walk from where Jesus was when he heard the news. Now, Bethany is kind of between Jerusalem, just outside where Jesus is, and, and uh, Jesus is kind of just on the outside of Jerusalem, and here's Bethany, just a short distance away. Now, this is important for several reasons. We'll get to that in just a moment. But here's what John tells us. John says that Jesus got this news, and Jesus did not respond immediately. He responded about the message, but he didn't do anything about the message. In fact, he really doesn't do anything at all to help his close friend. Nothing. Instead, Jesus kind of does the opposite. He stays right where he is, just outside of Jerusalem, for an additional two days. Ah. So people begin to question Jesus. Because this doesn't make much sense after all. Jesus, who had healed people by just saying things, didn't even do that. He just stays there. And, and he healed strangers at other times. And this is a very close friend. And so it's so confusing to his followers. And I'll be honest, that can be confusing to us as well. It can be confusing to me. 
Why would he wait and sit on this and do nothing for someone who was so close to him? But we're learning that Jesus was up to something. He was up to something big. He was about to really, in this point in his ministry, he was about to go all in. And he was going to perform a sign very soon, and we're going to look at it, that it was so incredible that anybody who saw what happened and saw him do this, and anyone, let's go beyond that, anyone who would hear from someone who saw this happen, some reliable witness who was there, wow, this is huge. They would believe because of what they saw and the person who saw it, and then what they told someone who didn't. So finally, after two days of Jesus kind of sitting on this information that his very dear friend is very, very sick and close to death, in John chapter 11, verse 7, Jesus says, all right, fellas, let us go back to Judea. To which his disciples now were saying, wait a minute, no way, Jesus, please don't make us go back there. Jesus, do you not remember the last time that we were in Judea? Those people tried to stone you, kill you, dead. And, and Jesus, if you're in danger and we follow you there, you're in danger, we're close to you, that means we are going to be in danger. So Jesus, please, please, please just don't make us Go back to Judea. But then Jesus does this thing, which he usually did something. Always turned the tables, always turned things around. He brings heaven down to earth in this moment with what he's going to say to his followers right here. He's going to tell them that the light of the world, and he says, which Jesus, I am the light of the world. The light has come into the world. And in that moment, when I came into the world, hope came walking into the world. Hope came walking in that moment into your lives. And that's what I did. And he's telling them that they will never see the things around them and what's happening on this spiritual level. They'll never see it more clearly than they're about to see it then what's, what's coming, what's getting ready to happen. Because the light of the world was about to do something amazing. Hope is getting ready to go walking again. And they didn't want to miss what is getting ready to happen. But still, they, they didn't want to go. <laughs> and at that moment, John, nor Peter, nor Andrew, nor Matthew, none of them understood what was coming. Until finally, nobody wanted to go, and one of the 12 spoke up. It, we find it kind of humorous, the way it just kind of, oh, well. You know, we talked about this guy uh, in two series ago and said, you know, this guy, possibly Thomas, could have been a blue. Looking at all the details, all the details. And Thomas speaks up, and he says, then, then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Oh, well, let us go that we may die with him. <laughs> We're going to, he's going to die. If he's 
set on going and getting stoned that we might as well go to, and we're going to die with him. Translated, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is going to go there, and now Jesus is going to die because they're going to kill him. So we might as well all go and all be dead together. Let's go. Now, meanwhile, back at the Bethany Ranch, here's what's happening in Bethany. I can only imagine that Mary and Martha, whose brother is the one who has died, Lazarus, that they're sitting around and they're just thinking, we sent for Jesus days ago. Where's Jesus? Why didn't Jesus show up? Where is he? You know, Jesus did not get there in time because Lazarus clearly is dead. And, and perhaps they waited as long as they could for Jesus, hanging on to the very last moment that maybe he's going to walk in just in time to save Lazarus. But he didn't. And so now at this moment in Bethany, Lazarus is in the tomb and Lazarus is dead. Not only did Jesus miss the embalming, not only did he miss the entombment, Jesus pretty much missed the entire funeral. It was all over and it was all done. But we know, because he told us, Jesus, he's up to something. He is up to something. He is in the process of manufacturing a sign with a purpose in mind. And John tells us, now, Jesus, on the outside of Jerusalem, hope goes walking again, and hope heads straight for Bethany. John chapter 11, verse 17, on his arrival, about a day and a half later, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Lord. Now, what we're getting ready to see, we're getting ready to see someone who is following Jesus, and at the same time, they are perplexed, and they're confused, and they're going to express themselves, specifically, Martha is going to express herself as a human very openly and very clearly to Jesus. Because Jesus was close to this family, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And we're going to hear exactly what Martha was feeling in this moment. And here's what she says. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, from where I'm sitting knowing what you can do? This is pretty much your fault, Jesus. Knowing what I believe that I know about you, this is your fault. You could have saved my brother, Jesus, and you didn't. Why? Because, can you tell me? Because I don't understand. Now, just think with me for a moment. Isn't it good to understand 
that there's nothing wrong with you. And there's nothing wrong with your faith when you are going through something difficult that you don't understand, something that is not fair. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your faith. Even when you doubt what is going on in relationship to God, there's nothing wrong with your faith. And we see this in Martha right now. We are seeing that bad things do happen to good friend of Jesus type people. And it happens all the time. But Martha is like us in another way. Because it appears she's trying to cling to whatever little bit in this faith crisis that she is experiencing. She's trying to cling to this sliver of faith that she has and she's hanging on to it as best she can. It's like, Jesus, you, you, you should have been here. And Jesus, I know I shouldn't be angry with you. You're Jesus, after all. You're, you're the Messiah. I, I shouldn't be angry after it. But I, I believe that, yes, you've been sent from God. And you could, you could have stopped this which is why I'm so conflicted and I'm so upset. But I do. I, I have this sliver of faith in you, Jesus, that even in this horrible, emotion-filled moment, I have this sliver of faith. You're here now. And I think we get a picture of Martha with this shred of faith that she's hanging on to. And here's what she says in verse 22. But I know, in other words, in spite of all of this, I, I, I know that even now, in this moment, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And now, Here's what kind of, we see this in what she says next. Martha begins to think, okay, Jesus, listen. Um, I, I don't need you to go into preacher mode, Jesus. I, I don't need you to go into teacher mode. It, we kind of know what that is. It's when, when something is going on in your life, um, and somebody comes up to you during that crisis, whatever it might be, and, and they begin to talk, and immediately you're just like, okay, not right now. I, I, I don't want your sermon right now about what I need to do or what we should do. I don't want your sermon right now. Someone says, hey, hey, you, you need to maybe, I, I know you're struggling, listen to this message, or, 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 or here's a verse, or here's what you need. And you say, okay, okay, I don't want a lesson in this moment. Someone says, well, you know, the Bible teaches. No, no, hey, listen, I'm in crisis mode. I've lost somebody or I've got something devastating that's going on in my life. I don't want a sermon. I don't want a Bible lesson. I don't want you to teach me about theology. 
and who God is. I, I don't want that right now. And, and Martha kind of thinks that Jesus is going into that mode when she says her brother will rise again. And, and Martha answers him in verse 24. And she says, listen, I know, I know, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, Martha's not concerned with the last day in this moment. Martha, she wanted Jesus to get here days ago so we didn't have to worry about the last days. We don't have to worry about him rising again in the last days. And what comes next is so breathtaking that we might not miss it because we weren't there and we can miss this because maybe a few of us have felt this intense emotion and frustration that Mary felt in this moment, but not everybody has felt this. But at this moment, Jesus looks at her, and it's like he's saying, Martha, Martha, listen, just look at me. I didn't come walking this way to give you a sermon. I'm not here to talk about theology. I'm not here to correct your theology. I'm not asking you to put your trust in what you've always been taught and what you have known I'm not asking you to even look towards the afterlife in this moment. Jesus looks at her, and here's what he says in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, my goodness. Jesus has just introduced to us a brand new category Jesus is saying, Martha, you are at this very moment looking at the resurrection and life personified in me. She, he, he is saying to Martha, Martha, I am the living embodiment of everything you have hoped for. When I walked into your life, hope came walking in. Martha, what you think about me is the most important thought that you will ever have. He's saying, Martha, the light of the world has come walking into this world. Hope came walking in. So pay attention. Because when I leave, this world is going to be dark. This world is going to be full of hurt. But I will leave as I leave a testimony of people, a record of the fact that the light of the world came and touched down here on earth. It's a testimony that the light of the world brings hope in hopeless situations. And John was there. John saw that and he heard that and he was taking it all in. And you know what? Peter was there. One of the other followers of Jesus. Peter was taking it all in and listening and watching. And then Jesus says this to Martha. He says, the one who believes in me, and this is an interesting little Greek word that's used, and that phrase, that phrase means 
the one who places their trust in me. So it's not just a mental agreement. It's the one who takes an act of placing trust and confidence in. So the one who believes in me, trust in me, has confidence in me, will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, trusting in me, having confidence in me, will never die. Now, there's no way that Martha, in this emotional state, there's no way that she could have taken all this in in this moment. And, and truthfully, I, I, I need to say this. There's really no way that I can even today take in this statement in the way Jesus meant it and intended it and to what all that it means. There's no way I can even today. This is such a deep, amazing statement. Because just as Jesus, here's what he's saying, just as Lazarus wouldn't die, but he did. Jesus says, you and I will die, but you won't. Just, let, me, let me say that again. Just as he said, Lazarus wouldn't die, but he did, he says to us, you will die, but you won't. Jesus could not have been more clear in this moment. And they're taking it all in. And Jesus says to Martha, the one who believes in me, the one who believes in me, trusts in, clings to, hangs on to, uh, believes in, trusts in, uh, has confidence in, that person, they won't die. Mm. Jesus is getting ready to finish this sign that he is manufacturing. And as he does it, this happens for your sake. It happens for my sake. And it happens for the sake of Mary and Martha, ultimately Lazarus. And it happens for everyone who's there watching. And he shows us in this moment that death is simply a door, a, a passageway, a transition. Jesus looks at Martha. He sees her pain. He clearly sees her confusion. Jesus is seen where theology what we believe about God meets the real world. Think with me for a moment. Jesus had eaten in their home as a guest, as a friend. Mary and Martha and Lazarus had supported, been a part of the financial support of Jesus and his disciples as they travel from town to town. And a bad thing has happened to a very good friend of Jesus. And Jesus looks at Martha now, and here's what he says. He asks this, 
and verse 26. Do you believe this? Martha, what I've told you, do you believe this? Martha, as if he's saying, Martha, do you put your trust in, your confidence in me? And this is so hard for her to believe. It's hard for us to believe. I mean, listen, we don't ask this question usually until something happens. Something bad happens. And it's so hard for us to believe this. And Martha felt the same way. She's hurting. She doesn't understand. She's in the midst of crisis. And she's mustering up as much faith as she can in this moment. And here's what she says. She answers in verse 27, yes, Lord. As if to say, Jesus, I don't understand. And I don't know or understand why you were late. And I don't know why you allowed this to happen. But Jesus, at the same time, I have seen too much. I don't understand everything, but I realize this is important. I don't have to understand everything in order to believe something, in order to trust in this moment. And Martha, as if she's going into default mode, she says, here's what I believe. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. But Jesus right now in the midst of this crisis at this moment, Jesus, that's all I know. That's all I know. Martha goes on and she goes ahead and she tells her sister Mary, who was not there at that moment that Jesus arrived, she tells her sister Mary on the edge of town, on the edge of Bethany, hey, here's what happened. Jesus is here. He finally made it. But of course, he's too late. And then Jesus and Mary have a very similar conversation to what Martha and Jesus had. And then John tells us what happens next. When Jesus saw her, when Jesus saw Mary, when he saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. And they replied, come and see, Lord. And at this moment, once again, hope goes walking, this time towards the tomb. And now we're going to have this extraordinary, tender moment. Maybe this was a part of why Jesus manufactured this sign. But I am so glad that uh, after they pulled together all of these uh, written letters and documents that make up what we call the new covenant. The new covenant was never a book. It's a series of letters and books written by other people that they have pulled together. And these then years later, um, hundreds of years later, other people came by and they put chapters and verses, numbers, just so we could make it easy to make our way around them. So we know we're talking about the same thing. And I'm so glad that they gave this one particular phrase its own verse. As if to say, this is a significant moment. We just need to read this and we need to pause and take this in. 
It's an extraordinary moment. Jesus arrives at the tomb. And he knows already what he is getting ready to do. But Jesus pauses in that. He enters into, as a man, Jesus was fully man at the same time fully God. And he gets in touch in this moment with those human emotions that he has. And we see divine God empathy. This is amazing. John saw it, and later he wrote it down so we could know it. Peter was there. He saw it. And years later, maybe what he witnessed here is why Peter came back into one of his letters that he wrote to the church. And Peter reminds us, listen, listen, it is okay to cast all of your worries that you have and all of your fears that you have, even your frustrations and your disappointments and your unresolved hopes and fears. And it is okay to cast all of those with confidence onto Jesus. And Peter says, because Jesus cares for you. To which we might say, but Peter, how do you know that Jesus really cares for us? And Peter might say, I, I was there on that day. I was there that day standing outside of the tomb of Lazarus. That moment I was there not knowing. I, Peter said, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I saw what he ultimately did. And in that moment, though, Jesus entered into our emotion and our frustration and our pain and our tears and our fear, all of the things we were experiencing. Jesus was there in that moment experiencing those things with us. I saw it in his eyes. Jesus cares for you. I saw it. Because I saw him care for Mary and Martha and us, for an entire community. I did not see Jesus rush into an answer. I saw him spend that moment in care. So I can say with confidence, he cares for you. And that's what John records next. It is not trivial Yes, it is a tiny verse. But knowing what was about to happen, here's what Jesus did. And it's written in verse 35. In that moment, Jesus wept. The Jews who had come to comfort Mary and Martha... They looked around. They saw what Jesus was. He was weeping. He was crying. And they said, see, look, look, look. He, he really does love Lazarus. He does love him. But then some others, they were terribly confused. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Wow, there it is again. Here we go again. It, it, it's all the way back to, to where this all started. They were asking the same thing too. They were wondering as well, why didn't Jesus do something about this? Why did he not act? 
This was his friend. This was a good man. This was a friend of God, a friend of Jesus. And he allowed, God allowed this evil thing to happen. Maybe they were thinking that if he really was God, and if God really was good, he would have stopped it. But since he didn't, maybe he's not good. Maybe he can't. But as it turns out, he could have stopped it. He just didn't. He didn't. And I'm convinced that he did not stop it for my sake. And he didn't stop it for your sake In this moment, Jesus is going to condense all of eternity into a span of a single afternoon. All of eternity. He's going to take all of the pain and all of the disappointment and all of the fear and all of the unanswered prayers and all of the, 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 the lack of faith and, and the belief that we struggle with and he's going to take those tears of God, of Jesus. And finally, he's going to bring us to a resolution in this moment. My entire life experience, as I wrestle with the goodness of God and the pain in this world, in this moment that we're going to read about, it is all condensed for Mary and Martha the Jews who were there, the disciples following Jesus, and us today for all mankind, every generation after, could follow what comes next. Because Jesus condenses the entire experience into those few hours on this one afternoon. And he manufactured that, allowed it, to happen, caused it to happen. He manufactured that so that generations afterwards and us today in this moment could live our lives with hope. John continues. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. Here's what he says. Take away the stone. I can almost imagine that murmurs began to, you know, you could hear people talking, couldn't maybe hear what they were saying, but there was a, a mumbling, a murmuring going around, people perhaps gasping when he says that, take away the stone. Martha speaks up. She says, but Lord, by this time, because Jesus, you know, you were late, you were so late. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, if you cling to, trust in, have confidence in me, you will see the glory of God? Let me pause. Did Jesus not tell us the same thing at this moment that? Hope has come walking. Did he not tell us that if we believe, if we choose to have trust in, if we cling to, have confidence in Jesus, we too will see the glory of God? 
but you say, but I want to see it right now. I don't want to wait. I want to see it right now. But that's really the point of this whole, this whole biography that we're reading in this snapshot of Jesus. All of eternity, my entire life, for my sake, is all condensed into this one afternoon. Jesus is saying, did I not tell you, did I not demonstrate for you that if you believe in me, trust in me, cling to me, you will see the glory of God. So Mary and Martha, they give their permission for that tomb to be opened. I can almost guarantee that in that moment, as they reached over whomever it was and how many people had to do it, I don't know, and they moved that stone that the rest of the people probably took some steps backwards because of what they knew was inside. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those people standing here. And I would add to that, that he said it for our benefit too. Who would hear of this from John, who was there to see it. He said, for those people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying, I am going all in. The most important question for us to wrestle with is not the question of good and evil. How is there good and how could a good God allow evil in the world? The most important question for us to wrestle with every single day and wrestle it to the ground is this question, who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is who he claims that he is, then all of those other things, they will be reconciled and explained in the life of Jesus. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, John, he's writing this down as an old man. And he's remembering this moment as it happened. John's probably thinking, you know what? I couldn't believe it either. I, it was unbelievable what we saw as hope now came walking out of that tomb. Hope came walking. Verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, I can imagine those looking on must have been stunned and silent. And they must have been frozen by what they saw. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes. Let him go. And so finally they rushed to Lazarus and they, they freed him from all of those bonds that, that were associated with death. And then the statement that John, he really didn't need to make it, but he made it. And I'm glad he did. Here's what he said in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Martha and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. 
Oh, I bet they did. I bet they did. Because hope came walking up to the tomb, and because of Jesus, hope came walking out. But I don't want you to miss John's formula for this whole thing that he has written of of his account, his biography of the good news. Don't miss this. This is what John wants us all to take away from what he has written in his biography. Here it is. Many who saw believed. Because they saw it, they believed it. Because they saw it, they believed it. And this is John's message. And he lets us know in his gospel, he lets us know in his biography, this is his message. He says, I was a bystander, an eyewitness. I was there for all of these events. And he says, look, listen, people, I'm writing it down. I don't want you to simply believe in in Jesus because of belief. I'm not asking you to have faith in your faith. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to follow Jesus because of faith. I want you to know, John, John in essence saying to us, I want you to know what I actually saw with my own eyes and heard with my own ears. Because if you could have seen what I saw, and if you could have heard what I heard and the story, everything that I saw, and if you would just trust me, John, as somebody who was there and somebody who's giving you a testimony, an eyewitness account of what I saw, if you could just simply trust me that I'm telling you the truth, then perhaps you'll arrive at the same conclusion that I did. Not simply about what Jesus did. No, 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 no. That's not writing this. It's arrive at the same conclusion about who Jesus was. You see, most skeptics, most skeptics who don't believe that Jesus was anybody special, most skeptics agree that with Christianity, it could not have grown to the numbers that it grew, especially like by the end of the third century, just that first 300 years. Had there not been some Uh, explosion of activity, uh, an explosion of followers very early on toward the end of Jesus' life. Most skeptics agree that something happened, something big happened before Jesus died on the cross to cause an explosion of people to follow him before he died on the cross. Something happened to cause them to choose to place their belief, their confidence in, their trust in Jesus. But why would so many people do that, embrace Jesus as their Savior and their Messiah before he died? Well, the popular answer, the church answer is, well, it it would be because of faith. They just believed. No, I don't think it's like that at all. I think it's much simpler than that. It was an explosion of people placing their faith and belief in Jesus because of something they saw. Something happened. 
on the edge of that Roman empire on that day in Bethany that was worth believing in, that was worth putting their trust in, which leads us back to this little formula that John had, that if you don't take anything else away from John's writings in his biography called the gospel of John, please take this. Here's the formula. Seeing led to believing, which led to trusting. When they saw what Jesus did, it led them to believe that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. And that led to an explosion of people ultimately placing their trust in Jesus. And it began right there, that explosion. And John's agenda here, he tells us it is not simply that you would know this story about Jesus. It's not simply that you would believe that this happened, his agenda. No, no, here is what it is. Ultimately, that we would place our faith in, our confidence in, our trust in Jesus, who is who he claimed to be because of what he did here on this planet. The light had come to the world for the benefit of the world. Hope came walking. In fact, this event is so uh, big. It, it, it is such indisputable evidence as it turns out that those who heard from eyewitnesses what had happened, who were willfully blind, they decided that they had to finally take a huge step and put a stop to all of this. This event was recorded by John. Somebody kind of leaked this information to him who was there so they call a meeting back in Jerusalem. Remember, this was just a day and a half from Jerusalem. So word went there immediately. That's where all news traveled to and through Jerusalem. So many people saw that and they, they left and they went to tell other people what they had seen. And so word floods back to Jerusalem. The story arrives and it's like we have undisputable evidence that a dead man walked out of the tomb raised to life by Jesus. There's no way around this. This was legit. It was real. It happened. The sign was undisputable. This was done in a community where the people had gathered for a funeral of a famous man, Lazarus, in the area, famous in the area, and nothing was going... To, to be able to be swept under the carpet. Jesus had done something extraordinary. And now his enemies gathered in Jerusalem and they decided that we have to end this and we have to end this now. And not only did they decide in that moment to make their plans to have Jesus arrested and to have him executed, they made plans in that moment to have Lazarus executed as well. And here's what was said in that meaning, which was leaked to John. Chapter 11, verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. They had no idea. They had no idea that 2,000 years later, over one-third of the world's population would believe in, trust in, have confidence in, cling to 
Christ. He said, if we let them go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. There was so much for them to lose, the enemies of Jesus, that they had no idea, though, what they had to gain. Because God had come in and walked into their life. Hope came walking to dwell alongside of them and to dwell alongside of evil. God had come to dwell alongside evil men. Hope came walking. The light was so bright, John would say it like this. The light has come into the world. Here's how he words it in John 3, 19. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. But don't miss this. God didn't eliminate evil when he stepped down to this earth. He actually placed evil upon his shoulders the shoulders of Jesus so that we would not have to perish but so that we could have eternal life even though I'm evil and even though you're evil. For God so loved this evil world. For God so loved the evil people in this world that he sent his perfect son, the light of the world, so that by placing your faith in, your trust in, your confidence in him, you could have the very life that Jesus came and promised to give. I think if John were standing on this tiny little stage today, I think he would say, listen, people, I'm nobody special but I saw hope walking. And why God allowed me to be a witness to all of this, I have no idea. But when the light of the world was in the world, he was here to brighten up the world. I do not know why I got to see it. But I need you to know my story. Because if you had seen what I saw, if you had heard what I heard, you would believe what I believe. If you had seen what I saw, I believe you would draw the same conclusion that I did, that Jesus is in fact God who put on the body of a man who is the light of the world and anyone who believes in, clings to, trusts in, relies on, has confidence in him, places their trust in him, will not perish. And John did not just write all of this so that we could know this story. Here's what he tells us in John 20 verse 31. These are written to you. To you. And to me, these are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John saying, if you 
had seen what I saw, you would believe what I believe. And once you believe what I believe, you would place your faith in, your trust in, your confidence in him and have life in his name. And my friends, that is the invitation of the gospel. And it is so powerful, it is so real, and it is so good. The gospel is in fact so good that after reading John's account, I would hope that you would want everything that John said to be true. Even before you're convinced that it is true, that you would want it to be true. But still, in that moment, some didn't believe. Some, while Jesus walked on this earth, we're told that they were willfully blind, refusing to believe that God touched down here on this earth. The light of the world had come into the world to light up the world, but some of the world refused to believe that hope had come walking. They refused to believe. In fact, from that day forward, those who refused to believe, they plotted for a way to take Jesus, the light of the world, out of the world. John tells us, I'm, I'm going to be praying here in just a moment to close us. But here's what John said. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly after this happened. He no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. The stage was now set. A plot was afoot. All the pieces were in place for this grand finale that was coming. The light of the world was ready to fulfill his purpose. The very reason why God touched down here on this earth. Hope is not just going to walk into Jerusalem very soon. Hope will come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Right before hope goes walking to his death. A death on a cross. So that most important question that we have to answer is not, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? No, the question that we must answer is this. For each one of us, who is Jesus? And I promise you, Cole and I will do our best to answer that question and more next week. Let's pray. God, I do pray that you would take these words written by John. You would take these words... And you would help us to see him as a trustworthy eyewitness, a source. And that his words that would say, if you could only see what I saw, you would believe what I believe. And we ask that you would take that thought and plant it deeply into our hearts this week. And bring us back next week as we answer the question, well, then, 
in light of all of that, who is Jesus? And at this moment, it's in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, that we pray these things. Amen.